Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. This is an exciting day. My name is Lena Evajera, and I am so glad you tuned in. If you've listened before, you know that every week or so, I invite a friend to join me on the show, and we just talk about hope. We talk about how to keep our hope in this life with all the challenges and difficult circumstances that come our way. So today, we're going to talk about someone so special that I think you're going to enjoy. She's my friend, Nancy uh, Lee Wolgamuth. And uh, I've been practicing because I know her as Nancy Lee DeMoss, but she got married recently, which we're going to hear about in a minute. But you might have heard about her through the radio ministry that she's had that has touched literally the lives of millions over the years. It is called Revive Our Hearts. She's also the leader of the True Woman Movement, calling women to revival and biblical womanhood. Probably her most famous book is Lies Women Who Believe in the Truth That Sets Them Free. And uh, uh, Nancy's just a fun person to talk to. In fact, we were just reminiscing before we started recording this and talked about how uh, she and I met through a game of words. Well, no, we met and then we quickly picked up a game of words with friends, which uh, was just a fun, fun way to get to know her. But uh, without further ado, let me just introduce you to Nancy. Hey, Nancy, good to have you on the show today. Hey, Lena, so good to hear your voice. I just smile when I think of you. And when we get to connect, I, I love it. You you have such energy and your love for scripture and your love for um, communicating God's truth. It's You're infectious. So thanks so much for having me on today. Oh, it's good. It's good to be here. And I'm just laughing because we've already had a technical snafu. So, you know, you, you know, there's a big joke in, in medicine. You know, people want to say, you know, how many doctors does it take to, t- to change a light bulb? And every time I do these podcasts and I'm trying to record, I'm always like, what can go wrong today? So uh, we're going to just praise the Lord that my strength is not technical, but we're really going to talk about what I think you're the best at, which is your relationship with the Lord. So why don't you just start by telling us a bit about your journey with Christ? How did it start? Because that's where things usually begin is is, uh, coming into relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And what a precious memory for me. Actually, my first conscious memory is trusting Christ as my Savior. I was four years old and I had the joy of being born into a home with believing parents, though my parents were young believers. They came to know Christ as young adults, but they were really serious about their faith and and joyful about it. So we were raised in an atmosphere of God's word being honored and Christ being honored and the gospel being loved. And uh, so just as a, as a young child, I, I certainly didn't have a lot of theology or knowledge, but I knew that Christ was the savior of the world and that he wanted to be my savior. And so I, I trusted him and that started me on a journey of God at work in my life, God drawing me to himself, um, giving me a heart for his word. And uh, of course, every journey has twists and turns and ups and downs and mine has as well. But there's like this continual thread all the way throughout of God drawing my heart to himself and giving me his grace and uh, loving me and drawing me to love him. Um, he loves me a lot better than I love him, but um, he's so gracious and merciful. And I, I, the older I get, the more grateful I am. I totally understand that. Um, the one thing, a, a little footnote, how did your parents come to know Jesus? My dad was a, uh, he was 13 years older than my mother. So he was in his uh, mid twenties when he was a rebel. He was a gambler. He had no interest in spiritual things, but someone invited him to a gospel meeting where a man who's now with Jesus, uh, a Russian Jewish 
Southern Baptist evangelist, if you can believe it, wow. uh, was preaching the gospel. And my dad gave his heart to Christ. And interestingly, that preacher actually packed up and left those meetings early because he didn't think anything was happening in the meetings. It didn't seem like all work. But he found out years later, he and my dad got to know each other and found out that my dad, who was a became a fervent follower of Christ and was a businessman, led thousands of people to the Lord over the years. So that was my dad. And then my mom was in high school. And again, hard to believe this today, but she had a, uh, back in the day, this was a public school um, where there was a Bible class elective and a Bible teacher of that class who knew Christ. And my mother came to know Jesus by reading the Bible. Uh, so shortly after that, um, me and my dad connected and uh, they weren't, they got married. My mom was 19. My dad was 32. They weren't going to have any children for their first five years of marriage. I was born nine months and four days after they got married. And they had, within the first five years of marriage, they had six kids. So, you know, you write, you think you know what your plans are. And then um, God writes the real story and you can trust him every time. That's hilarious. Where do you fall in the five? Number one. So, um, but we're all about the same ages. We're, we're now set, um, but I am, I'm the first born of those. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So, okay. So your dad is a big part of this, these early years. So before we get to that, when did you feel some calling to ministry or or was that later in life? I mean, did you grow up thinking I'm going to be a Bible teacher? Walk us through a little bit of that. You know what? By the time I was I don't know, six, seven, eight years of age. It wasn't like one moment, but I just had such a strong sense of wanting to serve the Lord. I didn't know what that would look like. I didn't know what it would mean. Um, I, I didn't know if I would be married or single or any of those details, but I knew that my life belonged to Christ and that I loved him and that I wanted him to use my life in some way. And then when I was eight years old, um, a Sunday school teacher, back, that's what they used to call it back then, um, you know, back in the children's class, she was going to be gone one Sunday and she asked if I wanted to teach the class. And I did. And I loved it. I was just, I was hooked. I can't imagine what I must have said. I have no recollection of that. Um, but as a you were eight, I was eight years old. And, uh, <laughs> and the Lord gave me some opportunities as a child to just share his word with others. And I, of course, I did a lot more of that in high school and college. And I just loved studying God's word and sharing it with others. I didn't go to seminary. I was a piano major in college, of all things. So it wasn't like I had formal training for wow. this. But I, it's, you know, it's like what you love to do. If you didn't get paid for it, you'd still want to do it. And you, you're passionate about God's word like that. So you get what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's, and you know, it's not your own doing, right? I mean, it's crazy because it's like of all the, you know, sometimes you think about it, like it's such a God thing. It's just pretty awesome. But so, so, so you had a big turn of events like towards college, right? I mean, what happened in your family? Well, a number of things, but one on the right after college, um, on the weekend of my 21st birthday, my dad, I was actually with the family that weekend. Uh, I was working in a local church in Virginia and my dad said, I really want you to come home for your birthday because the whole family is going to be together first time in like a year and a half. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, just to really honor my dad. I went home on that weekend. We had a dinner on Friday night as a family and one of my brothers had a friend with him that weekend. When we were getting back from dinner, back to the house, my dad turned to that friend and he said, you know, you're really blessed to, um, we're blessed to have you, but you're blessed to be here because we may never all be together like this again. And the next morning, 
Saturday morning, my dad and mom took me back to the Philadelphia airport because I needed to get back for Sunday where I had a, a, a children's ministry position in a church there. So I had to get back and I got on the plane. They put me on the plane. And when I landed in Virginia, someone was there. This is, of course, before cell phones and said, your mom is trying to get a hold of you. So they got her on the phone and she told me that in the few hours I had been gone, that my dad had actually, um, he had gone from the airport to play a tennis match with some friends. And on the tennis court, he had a heart attack, dropped dead and was in heaven before he hit the ground. Um, so, and then I turned like two days later. So it was a huge shock, a huge loss. I was very close to my dad. We all were. And I, at the time, you know, talk about hope, Lena at the time. And then several years later, when my number six, the number six in our family, my brother, David was killed in a car accident at the age of 22, Mm -hmm. junior at Liberty university, wanted to be a missionary or a pastor. I mean, he loved the Lord. Um, and he was gone and you look at these things and especially with the loss of my dad, I, I had this feeling like life will never be as sweet again. It just, how, you know, but just felt like such a huge loss. And it was, but I look back now, I just turned 60. And so I'm in a whole different season of life and I'm reflecting a lot on the faithfulness of God and the kindness of God. I could never have imagined 40 years ago. I'm like, I'm going to get weepy thinking about it, how and how kind and and good and faithful the Lord would be through the hard times, through the perplexing times. Um, he just kept, he kept being there. And even at times when I couldn't feel that he was there or it didn't seem like, seemed like things were falling apart. Um, so I, I've, I've got a track record now with God, and I, I'm now speaking to a lot of younger women just because I'm older, and one of the things that's just kind of my drumbeat is there's always hope because there's always God, and even when it looks like he's making a mess of the story or like he isn't involved in your story, he, he is there. He is writing a story. He is good, and he's working good in your life if you will, like, Sometimes you feel like you can't even hold on to him, but if you will trust that he is holding on to you, he is going to bring beauty out of what looks like ashes at the moment. So that was one of my first experiences with coming to um, not just know it theologically, but really experience that he's got the whole world in his hands, as the old Negro spiritual used to say. Um, he, he's got this. And what as is good, even when it seems to us to really be perplexing. And so, so yeah, I mean, that's a lot to take at a, as a young woman. And so, ha- and like, and, 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 and there's a lot of things I'll come back to maybe and ask about this teasing out this, this trust in the Lord when you might not see it in the moment and sort of how to hang out it by faith, but, but just to give people some spectrum of your life. And so you went on and, and worked as a, musician or what was like your life path? No, I I did a a degree in college in music, but that wasn't really what I intended to head into. Um, I loved um, studying and teaching the word. So I started in children's ministries in a local church. Then I connected with a ministry that's Mm, based in Southwest Michigan and began uh, being involved in ministering to women, teaching the word, doing conferences. As I got into my Oh my goodness, time flies. Maybe about 40, um, started doing some writing. And, um, you know, it's interesting as you think about how your story unfolds. I never set out 
to be a writer or a speaker or a ministry leader. I just set out to love Jesus and love others, Hmm. serve Jesus and to serve others wherever God put me just to be available. And I did for years. People sometimes ask me, like, I want to do what you do. How can I be a writer? How can I be a speaker? And I say, don't aspire to that. I mean, you know, get the training if that's what's in your heart. There's no, of course, get training. But mostly serve where God has put you. And I served in a lot of really obscure ministries and pathways um, for years and said, you know what? It's not the size of the audience. It's not how many people, of course, we didn't have social media, you know, when I was in my 20s and 30s. But if you were doing it today, you'd say it's not how many likes you get or how many followers. Um, It's how well you follow Jesus and let him shape your life, mold your life, even including with the hard things. And that all becomes part of your life message, your life story. And then share it one-on-one. Share it, um, you know, with your family, with your friends. Just and, And God's gifted us all differently. So, you know, you and I have been gifted, among other things, to teach the word. And that's a, that's a wonderful gift to have. But we have friends who serve with us who are really great administrators, um, or they have gifts of hospitality and um, some speaking, some writing, some um, just parenting kids really well. What an incredible gift that is. And to do whatever God has put in front of you. And if it's law, I'm doing, actually, I've got laundry running while I'm at my house. <laughs> you know, there's nothing unspiritual or unholy about that. I'm saying be faithful with what God's put in front of you. And if, if he wants to give you bigger pathways for that, he can do that. But um, life will be beautiful even with, with or without that. How do you, I mean, this is, I agree with you completely, but in the practical outplaying of it, and I see it even more now with social media, I mean, how do you, what do you tell, especially the women who are, you know, in ministry and, or, or aspiring, as you said, like who are listening, I get a lot of emails from women who say, like you said, like, I want to do what you're doing and, and sort of, or are they're doing it and they're just not seeing the results that they maybe had expected to see. And how, how do you keep doing it? Like knowing that you're, because you can say I'm doing it for the Lord and still live with sort of a frustration of this isn't doing, you know, growing like I wanted to or impacting like I wanted to, like the guy who preached a sermon when your dad gets saved and doesn't know that he gets, you know, like you don't see the results right away. So how do you keep them going? What do you, what can you tell that young woman who might be, you know, just frustrated that she's not getting any likes on the things that she's posting on Facebook and such? Yeah. Well, you know, we keep reminding ourselves, it's not about me. It is about Christ. You know, what did John the Baptist say um, in the gospel of John? He said, I must decrease and he must increase. So the question is, am I taking advantage of every opportunity God gives me to shine a spotlight on Jesus? And that could be in the workplace, in conversations with neighbors. My husband and I have a little thing that um, it's not little. I mean, it seems little. Nobody writes blog posts about this or, you know, you don't get your name anywhere for this. But we try everywhere we go or people who come to our house to, you know, it's the guy to, the exterminator or the um, lawn care guy or, uh, you know, anybody that uh, a, a, an Uber driver, or we just try every chance we get to talk with people. And we're both introverted. So let me just tell you that this is like, really? Oh, totally. Um, you see, and, uh, speaking of your not- husband, by the way, we're, get, we're this is a great segue. Uh, I mean, we, I, he doesn't strike me as introvert. That's interesting. He's, he's an I'm introvert. So 
we're introverted homebodies. So to talk with strangers is not easy for us, but we really try to just say to people, you know, ask them their name, ask what they do, um, ask, you know, have you lived here? Just questions to get to know them, to show interest in their story. And then to ask sometimes like, do you go to church anywhere? Do you have any interest in spiritual things? Or here's one question we've asked many, many people, and we've never had anyone get mad at us for asking. We say, is there any way we can pray for you? Oh, wow. Just to yeah. show, now, some people like just like they break down in tears because they're, you know, they just broke up with their boyfriend or, um, and some people are, you know, like whatever, but we've never had anybody get upset at us. Um, right. And we try many. So we'll just pray right there. So that's, that's being faithful. That's being a faithful servant. That's making much of Christ. And that's what ministry is. It's not the likes. It's not the follows. It's not the number of books. It's God's not going to care when I get to heaven, how many books I wrote. Um, that's right. If I wasn't faithful in loving my husband in loving the people on my team in, in getting out of myself and talking to people when I would much rather just sit in the corner and read a book, um, you know, the faithfulness in loving others well, and just looking for opportunities. You just imagine Lena, if every follower of Christ today were to just be alert to what people are around us, what circumstances are around us, that could be an opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus. They're maybe not going to get saved in that moment. They may not say, oh, yes, I want to be a Christian. I'm so glad you came into my life. That might happen. Um, but it's more often just like they're taking notice that somebody cared about me. Somebody um, stepped over a difference. We may look different. We may have a different accent. We may have a different political affiliation, but they showed an interest in me. And it's something about their 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 relationship with God. And then who knows the next time or the next time or the next time that someone comes into their path um, doing the same thing that they're going to say, I want to know him. I feel like more than anything, if we practice that awareness, how much we would be changed as Christians, as opposed to being hurried and angry and anxious, yes. we would take on a peaceful, Christ-filled, you know, spirit-bearing, fruit-bearing life. Yes. Totally. Yeah, such a good point. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I want to go back a minute and talk about probably what a lot of people who are listening might be dying to hear. Um, you were single for a long, long time. 57 years, to be exact. <laughs> and more than that, you never intended to marry. Well, I didn't intend to marry or not to marry. Um, I didn't know what God had for me. I, you know, By the time I was 57, I was pretty sure it wasn't going to be marriage, but I never said, I don't want to be married, or I won't be married, or I have to be married. Um, I just, from the time I was really young, um, of course, you know, when you're younger, you wonder more, um, you know, in high school and college, and some after college, and you, you wonder, because that's the time when more people are marrying. Um, but it, I just, all through that, I, I just aspired to follow Jesus. Whatever that looked like, wherever that meant. My life verse is Luke 1, 38, where the angel comes to Mary, who's this like 14-year-old girl, and who's looking forward to marriage to Joseph, and upends her life and says, you're going to have a baby, and it's not Joseph's baby, it's God's baby. I mean, it's like crazy, right? And yeah. uh, Mary says to the angel after some conversation, like, how can this be? But then she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And 
in my verse, like, Lord, you want me married? You want me single? You want me living here? You want me moving somewhere else? You want me in this ministry or doing this or that? Uh, big things and little things. I, I really tried to just have this, yes, Lord. Now, I don't always do that. I've had times of resisting and pushing back against what I thought was God's will, but God doesn't, he doesn't let me do that for very long um, because I like started with this basic premise. My life belongs to Christ and he's the Lord. So what he wants is what I'm going to want. It's what I'm going to choose. And whatever he wants for me is what's going to be best for me. So God really blessed my single years. And I think a part of that is because um, by God's grace, I really tried not to pine for something I didn't have. Um, Hmm. And that's, you know, contentment is just an incredible it's an incredible choice and it's an incredible gift. I don't always do it well. And I know some people, I know a lot of women who have deep longings for marriage more than I did. I was a big champion of marriage, but I really did love being single and serving the Lord as a single. So I'm not saying I can feel what other women have felt with those strong longings to be married. But the fact is we all have unfulfilled longings. And so is a choice to say, by faith, whatever God gives to me today is all that I need to be happy. And whatever he knows I need to be happy and joyful in him tomorrow, he will provide that tomorrow. Um, Sometimes he takes away, sometimes he gives. You have people who get married, and we all have lots of friends like this, who end up married to someone who just really does not share their heart, their love for Christ. Or they get married and two years later, they're a widow. And by the way, getting married later in life, not only was I 57, but my husband was 67 at the time. I realized when we got married that I would probably be a widow, you know, humanly speaking, um, that we wouldn't have a zillion married years together. So I, I, like, I just try not to go there. And I tried not to go there when I was single. Like, what if this is my whole life? Well, if it was to be my whole life, which by the time I was 57, I thought it would be singleness, uh, marriage totally shocked me, totally shocked me. I was not looking, thinking, um, in fact, by the time Robert came into my life, although we knew each other professionally, um, by the time he came around as a, you know, wanting to date, I was like, I don't think so. Um, you know, I love what I'm doing and there would be too many, this would be a huge adjustment. And by the way, it was a huge adjustment. Um, It has been a huge adjustment, but I walked into marriage the way I tried to walk through singleness. And that is by faith. Um, Finally, were you tempted at any point to just say no out of your, like, how did you overcome that fear of all these years being single and like this, you know, what if it was a mistake? What if like, how did you fight it? How did you know this is what God had for you? Well, I'll tell you two answers to that. One is before we got married and the other is after we got married, uh, which, by the way, we're coming up on our third year anniversary. Um, but before we got married, I I have to say um, I didn't have 
I mean, I liked this man a lot. I had huge respect for him. I knew him because we're, um, I'm an author and he's an author's agent. So we knew each other professionally. I had known his wife who died of cancer after 45 years of marriage. I knew his grown daughters, not well, but somewhat. So I had a lot of respect for him. He was extremely likable. He was a gentleman and just very kind. And so I couldn't say enough good things about him, but I didn't have like off the chart, um, like ooey gooey um, feelings of wow, I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love. Um, it was a growing thing for me, but more than that, it was like I just tried to take one step at a time without looking to what might where might this end. Like when he we had our first date, and he said, "I'd like to start a friendship. Would you be open to that?" And I had heard in advance. I got somebody gave my brother who knew this gave me a heads up that this is where Robert was going with that conversation. <laughs> And thank you, brother. Um, but I, I, I just had peace in the moment to say yes to a next step without trying to figure out what's this going to look like? Where's this going to go? Um, so, you know, that, I think that's what it something what it means to walk in the spirit, to be led by the spirit. And I took one step at a time. I got godly counsel. I listened to some who had concerns about, not Robert, but about whether this was really what God had for me. We listened carefully. We got counseling. Um, So we we did those things, but mostly I just took it a step at a time and said, I think the Lord's leading to the next step. Now, fast forward to after we got married, I will tell you honestly that there were many times early on um, when it was such a huge change for me, just having someone in the house all the time. You know, we both work out of our home and um, this was so new to me, so different. And I don't think anybody other than Robert could have done it. He's an amazing man. Um, But there were many times when I thought, what in the world have I done? (laughs) And I thought, you know, singleness for me was way easier than this. And again, I don't want any way to reflect negatively on Robert, but it was easier because I'd spent 57 years figuring out how to do it. Um, and I had, it was comfortable to me. Marriage, everything about marriage was so new to me, so different. And of course, doing it older, I realized that's, you know, that's part of that challenge. But here's what I did in those moments when my emotions, it was often late at night. And um, my emotions are just kind of like going crazy, trying to hijack me. And I would counsel my heart according to the truth, the same way I did when I was single and had difficult or lonely moments. I would tell my heart and I would say, you know what? You made a covenant. You are a married woman now and you're going to live like a married woman and you're going to love this man. And, um, and you just, you tell yourself the truth. I told myself the truth when I was single and I've been telling myself the truth when as a married woman. And I told somebody just last night, Lena, I was talking to a friend who's walked with me through this whole journey, but I hadn't talked to her for a while. And I said, I just want you to know that because she knew that for me early on, it was like, what in the world is this? You know? And I told her yesterday, I said, I just want you to know that Robert and I are doing really well. We, I love him so much. We're growing, we're comfortable with each other. Um, but it didn't start out that way. Uh, And again, that's, I'm, I'm taking the blame for that. I'm not blaming him at all. Uh, but you know, you do by faith. And I think it's true with singleness. I I have a friend, you may know Bethany Baird who got married recently, who's, um, has a ministry to young women. And, um, she was 30 by the, she got married this week at the age of 30 and, um, she was 
she wanted to be married so badly and singleness was something that was not easy for her, but she kept counseling her heart according to truth. And a year ago, this guy God brings into her life and um, they got married this past week and it's beautiful. It's sweet, but it was really sweet because I watched her be really fruitful in her single years and not waste the time wishing for something she didn't have. A lot of single women do that. A lot of married women do that. A lot of married women wish they were married to somebody different or not at all. Um, and a lot of single women wish they were married. And I'm saying that, look, none of that is productive. Um, so can we just say, Lord, I thank you for the gift you've given me today, whether it's marriage or singleness. I thank you um, that you haven't seen fit to bring a husband into my life yet. Or I thank you that you did bring this man into my life who is, it's really hard right now. Either way of that equation, either side of that, um, but I'm going to trust you that you know what's best for me, and I want to be fruitful in the season where you have planted me. And I think that in, ter- in time, that's the pathway that really brings joy and satisfaction. One of the things that people talk about when it comes to marriage and sing- versus singleness is like single people have more time for Jesus. You know, Paul talks about that in Corinthians. Do you find that that's a thing, like you have to fight for your time with the Lord, or is it just that you're so in tune to this part of your life that you've just, has it been a struggle? That was part of the big challenge for me. I will tell you, in the first year of marriage, I hardly ever had a really good quiet time. And again, it's not my husband's fault, uh, but I was used to um, like structuring my own day, my own life, and I didn't have, I didn't have time with a husband. I mean, and you know, and part of you think, and it is, the companionship is very sweet, but I didn't, it's really sweet, but I didn't, I couldn't figure out how to juggle it all. Um, and so I was having to figure out with Robert, we would pray and talk and he was very understanding, very um, kind. I, I could not have asked for more to do, to go into this new gift of marriage with someone. Um, but it was, I felt like I was off kilter in terms of my priorities, my friendships all changed, my relationships were different. I didn't have the same kind of time for friendships that had been a part of my life for 40 years, some of them. And I don't mean they all totally went away, but you only have 24 hours in a day. And if you're going to spend a lot of time with one person, it means you're not spending time you might have spent with others. Um, And I've heard older single women, even women who get married in their 30s or 40s, this is a challenge because you're, you're now it's things have leveled off a lot and um, we're in a new normal and it's very sweet, but I'm, I'm just glad I didn't put my whole hope in thinking that marriage was going to make my life easier or better in some ways it has in a lot of ways it has, but in a lot of ways, um, the singleness Paul talks in first Corinthians seven, he's true. He, I mean, of course, it's inspired by the spirit that there are there are ways you can devote yourself um, totally to. In fact, First Corinthians seven is like a passage that I it was like one of my favorite passages from the time I was like eleven or something, you know. Um, so, and but here's the thing: I had to re- realize when I was single and I was battling: is this a gift that I want to give up, or that I should give up? And I realized. Paul says in that passage, both are a gift. So receive the gift that you have and make the most of it. Um, And so when we got married, I just, we we all have friends who squabble a lot in their marriage. I knew we were older and we weren't going to have 
probably as many years together as a lot of our friends. So I just purposed in my heart, you know what? I don't want to waste one day of however many or few we may have by being mad at him, by holding things against him, by giving him the silent treatment or arguing. I mean, we do talk about things. We have differences of opinion and we have very real conversations, but I just decided I wasn't going to emotionally manipulate my husband to get what, you know, I wasn't going to pout or be, we were just as much as we could, we were going to walk in the spirit. So we were going to try and love each other. That means overlooking some things that um, you go like that, that didn't really bless me. And sometimes you need to say that. And sometimes you just need to let it go um, and not hang on to it. Because I just said, why should we waste? Um, You know, like if I knew he was going to die tomorrow, Hmm. how, um, or if he, if I were thinking of him more as a guest in my home and and Robert has often said the most important quality in marriage is to be good friends, to treat each other like friends. So how would I treat a friend or a guest in my home? Would I get upset about this or would I let it go? Um, and so I think these things have helped us to really have a healthier, um, not perfect by any means. We're two sinners married to each other. And that and marriage has an incredible way as here's something uh, I talked, I didn't talk, but I had an exchange on email with pastor John Piper, um, who I don't really know, but I reached out to ask for some counsel before we, when I was dating Robert and he gave me some really wise counsel. One of the things I said was like, you know, does marriage, maybe does God want me to get married because that sanctifies more? And Dr. Piper said to me, look, marriage sanctifies and singleness sanctifies. It's all embracing whatever God has for you in that moment, in that season. And that was a kind of a release to me that, you know, it wasn't like marriage would make me more spiritual or singleness would make me more spiritual. It was loving Jesus and taking the next step of obedience with him. That's what would satisfy me, whether married or single. That's good. One thing, um, uh, your opinion or your counsel on this do you believe hope and contentment, those those words that we talk about, are they a decision or a feeling? And when does one, like what if you have somebody listening to it right now who really feels hopeless because their life isn't what they thought they would be or maybe discontent and they want to be. So they say to God, God, I'm content. I'm going to be content. But they don't feel it. What do you tell that person? Well, um, we have feelings. We're, we're emotional creatures and feeling God has feelings and Feelings are God created and they're good, um, but they're they're good servants, not good masters. And so, um, the more we put into our minds truth, the more we anchor our minds in what is true. The more we're living in God's Word, um, reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it, having conversations like this with people who also love the Lord, that can you know that strengthens each other. That kind of meaningful fellowship, the, like the conversation we're having. The more we tell each other truth, the more our feelings start to follow what is true, rather than our feelings dragging us along and making us obey them. Um, you know. I have a choice every day. I did when I was single. I do now that I'm married about what I'm going to think about, what I'm going to emphasize, what I'm going to focus on, what I'm that hurt that I'm going to nurse or I'm going to let it go. 
um, that angry word I'm going to give vent to, or I'm going to say, Lord, you know, give me gracious words to speak, words that heal instead of words that wound. Um, Those are choices. And as I set my affections on Christ, Colossians 3, as I set my hope on the Lord, Psalm 42, Psalm 62, uh, the more I do that, those are choices, then the more my emotions come, I find joy, I find happiness, I find satisfaction, I find fulfillment. It doesn't mean that I'm always giddy or like, oh yeah, what well, is a wonderful life, you know? Um, but because there are times of weeping and there are times of heartache and hardship. And thank God, not every day is like that, but we all know women who have a lot of heartache for a lot of their life. Um, and it could be physical issues. It could be financial issues. We have sisters in other parts of the world whose lives are just going to be hard from here till heaven because they're in hard cultures where it's with if the cultures opposed to the gospel or hates Christians or, um, and by the way, a lot of the things that get us bent out of shape are third, are, are, are um, first world problems. And you've traveled in other parts of the world and it gives you perspective that the things that upset us over here in the West, like our luxuries for Christian brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. So um, that perspective helps. But I, so I'm not saying ignore the emotions, but I'm saying they need to be, it's like bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And as you do, that sounds a little bit like straight laced or um, restrictive, but it actually is the pathway to joy and freedom um, to make those to be content, to be grateful. That's another huge thing. Choosing gratitude. Um, I started, my husband doesn't even know this, so I hope he doesn't hear this podcast, but I started a, um, a journal um, months ago, many months ago, just many days. I don't do it every day, but just writing down things my husband has done that day, little things, big things, things that I want to notice. And I'm writing down I'm writing them down, thanking him in this journal, but I haven't told him about it yet. I'm going to give it to him either at Christmas or birthday. And you know what it does for me is it just gives me eyes to see the things that, you know, I might otherwise miss. I might be, we we just have, I I don't know, some people are more naturally negative. I'm one of them. So I tend to, I'm an editor. So I notice mistakes in a book. I notice, um, I just notice the negative things first. We drive, my husband and I drive up to our house and he says, oh, doesn't it look beautiful out here? And I'm going, well, look at those weeds, you know? Um, well, I tend to be more negative. He's been good for me just to notice and comment on the good things. That's Philippians 4, 8. So I'm trying to do this in this gratitude journal. And it does give me a whole different perspective. It helps my emotions. It's like gratitude is a life preserver for runaway emotions. And it helps to steady me. Um, think about what has God done for me that's good? What am I thankful for? Where am I seeing God at work in my life today? Where am I seeing his faithfulness? I think focusing on those things really does um, redirects our emotions in really healthy ways, I think. I think that's so, so critical. I love that quote. It's so good. Tell me one thing. I want to hit up one more category before we bring this to a close. Uh, You spent time with women, the true woman movement. You've written for a woman. What do you find is the greatest struggle for a woman um, in this time, in in this day and age? Wow. Well, there are so many struggles, but also so many great opportunities for us as women. Um, You know, we're living in the Me Too era. 
um, uh, and again, it depends what type part of the world you're talking about. I met with some believers from South Africa recently. I met with some women from Europe who came to the recent True Woman Conference. And different parts of the world have different challenges and issues. But I think for all of us, oh, it's a really important time for those of us who know Jesus to be um, understanding that we are, as women, are created imago dei in the image of God, and to celebrate that, to be grateful for it, to let that shape our image of ourselves, um, to let Him tell us who we are rather than letting other people define our narrative or our worth or our value, um, but saying, God created me in His image, created men that way too. And Created us with a lot of similarities and with also distinctives and with great value. And that that affects how we see ourselves. It affects how we see others. And then for us to care about other women, um, also created in the image, the likeness of God. So women who are struggling with cutting issues, with um, sexual abuse issues, and oftentimes, very often those two go hand in hand. Uh, women who struggle with depression or despair or discouragement or um, broken marriages or prodigal children and and are sad or lonely or hopeless, love the mm-hmm. theme podcast. And if we can see ourselves and others as created in the image of God and that God loved us so much that he entered this world, took on our human flesh became a man, walked in our shoes, walked our pathways, experienced our pain, our hurt, our suffering, experienced injustice, and gave his life for us so that not only we might we have a relationship with him and be healed and whole, but also we could be instruments of helping others to have a relationship with him and be healed and whole. You know, like this makes it worth getting up in the morning. This helps lift my head at times when either shame or despair or sadness might want to take over. Um, But I say, no, this is the day the Lord has made. He's made me for this day. I will be glad. I will rejoice in it. I'm not going to live perpetually in despair or hopelessness. I'm going to lift my head up, fix my eyes on Jesus, even though my eyes may be filled with tears at the moment. And I'm going to let him infuse his joy, his life, his peace into me and let him use me as a means of blessing to others. And so that gets, you know, that then you then you have a reason to live. You have um, when you see God start to use you in other people's lives, that brings such joy. Um, and it, it just, I think, lifts us out of the, as the Pilgrim's Progress calls it, the slew of despond. Um, you know, that quicksand that our emotions can fall into. And I'm not trying to be like, okay, everybody just be, you know, just be happy now. Um, no, I'm saying our hope is in the Lord. Our hope is in Christ. We keep reminding each other the best is yet to come. We keep reminding each other you can trust God to write your story. In fact, my husband and I have just written our first book together, and that's the title. Oh, you can trust God 
to write your story. About a year from now, Lord willing, that book will be out. But we interviewed a lot of people for that book, people who were dying, people who have prodigal kids, people who just all kinds of life issues, financial struggles, et cetera. And we listened to them tell their story and and tell us how they had found the presence and the peace of Christ in the midst of their pain and their loss. And we came away just saying one after the other, yep. You can trust God to write your story and we can trust God to write our story. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know how it's going to unfold, but we can trust that he's writing it and that the best is yet to come. Just you know, like we need to tell ourselves that it's true. If we're in Christ, it awesome. really is yet to come. We're coming towards the end of this, Nancy, and we've, you've just told us so much to think about and to meditate on. Um, I want to just do some life questions here for the next minute or so, just to sort of bring things to a close. Uh, so I'll just shoot a question and you just, first thing that comes to mind, um, favorite hymn. Oh, the, oh my goodness. How about like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. That'd be one of them. That's good. The favorite book you've ever written. <laughs> That's like saying, what's your favorite kid? Um, usually the last one, and one of my last ones is the book Adorned, uh, Living Out the Beauty of the Gospel Together, which is a book on living out older women, younger women, doing relationship, doing life together, and passing on the baton of faith from one generation to the next. It's great. Most go-to book of the Bible? Oh, well, let me say probably Psalms, but having said that, Oh, because there are a lot of Psalms and I'm in there right now. I'm doing a journaling Bible and I'm loving that. And I'm in the Psalms right now, about halfway through the Bible. But I want to say, I really believe in, in getting all of the Bible. We need it all. It all speaks to us. It's not all as easy to, you know, dive into, but you put it all together and it's just a beautiful whole story. So I love the whole thing, but right now I'm, I'm soaking in Psalms. That's great. Coffee or tea? Well, I've never tasted coffee, so um, my husband's a big coffee drinker, but he hasn't got me to do it yet with him, so I'm... You've never... Wait, wait, wait. You've never tasted coffee. Can you believe it? And I'm saying, why should I... I can't believe that. Wow. You're a walking miracle, Nancy. Those are incredible. Okay, here's another one. Sweet or salty? Both. I got to have both. Once I do sweet, I got to have salty. Once I do salty, I got to have sweet. (laughs) It's a never-ending cycle of joy. That's good. Where do you encounter God the most? Um, wow. Well, I'm sitting in my quiet time chair right now and certainly alone with him in his word. That's huge. That's like never-ending well of encountering him. But I also encounter him worshiping with his people at church. I encounter him in conversations like the one we're having. I encounter him in the hard places. Uh, because I'm so desperate. I don't know what to do except say, Lord, I need you. And then I, you know, like the disciples in the boat in the storm. Um, but it's the starting place for me every day for encountering him is alone and in his word. Okay. That's good. I so love that. Biggest regret in your life? You know, I don't want to say, I, like, I don't know if there's a moment, but if as I look back now on 60 years and 55 years of knowing Christ and walking with him. I just regret that I haven't trusted him more, that I've panicked more often than I needed to, um, that I been like, I have trusted him. But so many moments when I was like trying to figure out everything and, and what's, what am I going to do? And how's this going to happen? And 
then sometimes manipulated people or circumstances to get it to work out the way I wanted. And I'm going, look, I look back and I see what God has done. I'm going, why didn't I just let God figure this out? He's big enough to do that. I love that. I believe it was Helen Roosevelt who said that too once. That's incredible. That's so good. Um, easy one here. Favorite niece? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I had to throw that in. We have a commonality. Her nieces are have been friends of mine and they're amazing. Uh, last about- one here. We'll wrap things up. Go on. Sorry. No, I'm just saying a lot of nieces, so I can't pick one. Oh yeah, I was picking on the four, the three, the that the, 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 the sisters' kids. The actually, they're five kids, right? Two boys, three girls. Anyway, uh, favorite social media account, uh, and in fact, we'll wrap up with this. How can people connect with you, Nancy? Um, well, I'm on Instagram at Nancy Demoss, I think is correct. Um, so I post there. I post on. I'm, I do Twitter at Nancy Demoss, and not so much on Facebook. Um, but reviveourhearts.com is a website with a daily podcast and a lot of resources for um, women. You can go search and find things for every season of life. And so we're just trying, we're calling women to freedom, fullness, and fruitfulness in Christ. So I try to do that personally, and I try to do it through our Revive Our Hearts ministry. And um, and you can also engage on, our, on the Revive Our Hearts and True Woman websites and social media sites. And um, I, I don't can't answer every comment, but we have a, people that do. If you have prayer requests or you want resources that we can help with, um, we're really here to serve and to be a blessing in any way that we can. And even for Spanish speakers uh, who may be listening to your blog or have Spanish speaking friends, we have much of our ministry is in Spanish as well. Aviva nuestros corazones. So we're trying to just um, make Jesus known to everybody we can in every way we can because he is so so amazing he is amazing i'm so grateful for you for being on the show i have personally benefited from your ministry and life nancy and just really one of the women in my life that i look up to and so thank you so so much for giving me this hour well thank you lena and what a blessing you are to so many and it's really been a sweet thing to reconnect with you here thanks so much Right. And guys, if you're listening, we're going to bring this to an end. I hope you've enjoyed this hour. You can reach me at Lena, L-I-N-A, at livingwithpower.org. Again, we'll be back next week with another great interview. In the meantime, hope in the Lord. He's the only one that is able to carry the things that we have on our minds and our hearts today. So know that you're being prayed for. We'd love to pray with you. Send me your email uh, with any prayer requests. And um, just have a great day. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.